Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. It is the effective working of His power that's within us. If I am a child of God, if I say that Jesus Christ is my Lord and God is my Father, and again, in that relationship, I want the heart of God working and moving in my heart. How in the world can I be apathetic? How in the world can I be indifferent to a world that is around me that is perishing? If we have the Spirit of God that's living within us, the heart of God within us compels us to live our lives in compassion and caring for a lost and dying world. Do you have concern for the unbelievers around you? In today's message from Pastor David, he encourages us to pay attention to those around us who are not saved and not to become indifferent to them. As Christians, we carry the Spirit of God inside of us. God loves the world, which is why he sent his Son, so that none would perish. By having the heart of God within us, it compels us to live our lives with the compassion and care for a lost and dying world. Go out today and make the love of Christ known. Now here's Pastor David with part one of his message, Stir Up, Be Bold, Hold Fast. actually just three things that I want you to know by the time that you leave here today. Just three things. Three kind of little phrases, quick little phrases. Stir up, be bold, and hold fast. Stir up, be bold, and hold fast. Can you say that with me? Stir up, be bold, and hold fast. Okay, let's stand for a closing word of prayer. We're good to go. Actually, if you're taking notes today, that's, that's the three primary focuses that we're going to look at this morning. We are in 2 Timothy uh, still as we've uh, just recently begun that book. We've not gotten very far. We're still in chapter 1. One of the things I've been sharing with you about as we've looked at this study, and I want to bring it again to your attention this morning, is the situation that the Apostle Paul finds himself. He is in a prison. Uh, historically, archaeologically, we know that that prison where he's at, he's actually in a dungeon there in the city of Rome. And at the same time, he is having the opportunity to write Timothy here, which we know is his uh, last writing. It is uh, the last record of any of the writings of the Apostle Paul that we have. Now, we cannot separate those two facts. Number one, that, that Paul is in a 
prison dungeon awaiting his execution, and this is the last letter that he is writing, and he's writing it to young Timothy, who is, again, pastor there in the city of Ephesus. Now, I know that last week we looked a lot at the the prison facility. We spoke about that quite a bit, but this morning I want to take you back there just for a moment, if we could. I want you to imagine for a moment that you yourself are seated or laying or chained inside the dungeon of first century Roman prison. Cleanliness and hygiene, they're long forgotten luxuries. They haven't been around for quite a while for you. The food, when it comes, it's so detestable that a battle goes on between your stomach that says, I have to have food, and your brain that says, I ain't eating none of that stuff at all. So this battle is going on in, in the midst of it all. The filth and, and the grime and, and the stench of it makes it so hard you can't even breathe at all just because of the heaviness of the air with the filth and all that's there. You fully understand at this point in time that your life is no longer to be measured in decades It's not going to be even measured in months. As a matter of fact, you understand fully that your life is being measured in hours. And every time you hear footsteps going by the entrance to this dungeon, you fully anticipate, you fully expect that it's the executioner coming with a sword to take your head off. Now, put yourself with that understanding, and at the same time, you find a short time to be able to somehow dictate a letter to Timothy with the words that you feel are most important for him to hear in the last hours of your life. Timothy and the church, they had already begun to have persecution as, again, the persecution of Nero began to move across all of the Roman Empire. These were difficult times, and yet the need for the gospel remained just as necessary, if not more necessary and, and, and powerful at that point in time because, again, the extent of the persecution that was going on. It couldn't have been far from the apostle's mind that many of the people that he knew, that he had interacted with through the years, that their lives had either already been taken from them, they're in prison, or their life or their freedom was going to be taken from them shortly, just simply because of the rise of the persecution. All of that reality is, is playing out within his mind even while he's in that Roman cell. You need to understand too, I believe that probably for the Apostle Paul, as well as for many of the disciples, uh, the followers of Jesus during that time, there was probably a thought that went through their mind that through the intensity of the persecution that was going on, that the message of Christianity could have been done away with at that point in time. Enough persecution, enough deaths, because that's what Rome wanted to do. Rome wanted to wipe out Christianity and the viciousness of how they were going about it probably passed through their minds, just as if we were to tell you this morning, hey, you know what? In one week, next week, they are making these meetings that we're holding here outlawed in the United States. 
And as a matter of fact, if you have a Bible, they will take it from you. As a matter of fact, if you profess Christ, if they know that you're a Christian, they're gonna come pounding on your door. They're gonna take your children away. They're gonna take your belongings away. They might even put you in prison. And for some of you who are bold enough to continue to standing, they most likely will put you to death. This is what's going on in the apostle's mind as he's writing this. And yet in the midst of that, his love and his concern for his own countrymen, the Jews, as well as for the Gentiles, continues to flow outside of his own circumstances, and it causes him, again, to speak of that continued need for the gospel to be spread as far and as wide and as loud as possible. And that's why he writes here to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to begin down in verse 6. Just look at a couple of verses right now, and then we'll move on in a moment. In verse 6, Paul writes, therefore, I remind you, Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. No doubt here, Paul is speaking to Timothy about the fact that he was gifted by the Holy Spirit. Even as Paul and perhaps even others had laid hands on him, ordaining him for that work of ministry. And whatever that gift was that Timothy received, it was imparted to him not because of the ability of the Apostle Paul or any other man. It was imparted to him as a gift and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul was simply a channel that God used as Paul came and laid hands on him and prayed, and God gifted Timothy. And I believe that more than likely, it was more than one gift. I know for certain, I know by experience that if you're in the position of being a pastor teacher, you need much more than one gift of the Holy Spirit to be able to effectively do the ministry that God has called you to do. The important thing, though, to see here is that Paul was instructing Timothy, Timothy, you need to stir up that gift. You need to stir that up. Now, was he thinking that, that Timothy had fallen asleep and he was no longer doing the work? No, but I believe that he was, again, encouraging him for what he knew needed to be done. As the Holy Spirit gifts us as believers with spiritual gifts, we have that opportunity. We have that, that full choice, our full volition at that point in time to either allow that gift to remain stagnant and unused or to stir that gift up. And how is it that we stir up the gift? Well, we see throughout the word of God that that it's through our actions of of both faith and boldness. We're gonna look at this idea of boldness in a little bit when we look at Paul's admonition to Timothy to not be ashamed. But for now, we can see how the gifts of God within our lives, the gifts of the Spirit within our lives can be stirred up as we step out in faith by acts of faith within our lives. The very word that Paul uses here that's translated in my New King James as stirred up, it has the idea of to rekindle or revive or to fan into flame. And if you've ever worked a, a campfire, you know exactly what Paul is saying right here. The, the fire 
could have possibly died out. And uh, again, when, when we're first saved, man, we, we come to the Lord, the excitement of having our sins forgiven, the, the excitement of man being newborn in Christ. It's just like, man, we just go and, and the fire of the Lord is within our lives. And yet through the years, different things happen, man. Struggles come our way. Uh, perhaps we've stepped out in areas of faith and Man, there was a few times that we failed or maybe we've even fallen in our walk in the Lord. And so we've backed down and the fire of the Spirit has literally diminished within our lives. The coals of that campfire, though, they're still there. There's still warmth that we can feel within our lives, knowing that, man, my spirit bears witness with his spirit that I am a child of God, but that fire just isn't there. It's just not the flame that it used to be. There's warmth, and every once in a while, maybe a flame will will come up. You've you've seen campfires, if you've ever camped. Man, it's down to the coals, and all of a sudden, every once in a while, this little flame comes up, And then it just kind of dies back down. Why? Because there's no new kindling. There's no new wood on there for it to burn. Still warm. It's still available to be able to stir up and to be able to rekindle. But for right now, it's just barely there. That fire needs to be fanned into a flame. You've done it perhaps if you've gone out camping. That little coals are there. You put a little wood and you blow on that thing, try to get it to, again, stir up, or you take a stick and you're stirring it around, trying to get it to flame up. That's what Paul is telling you. Stir up, rekindle that fire of the Spirit that is within you. Beloved, we need to stir up the gifts of the Spirit within our lives. We need to step out once more in and through God's leading in our life and through His equipping. That, that word stirred up, it also has the idea of, of causing something to just begin again, to reactivate, to cause it to begin to be active again, to revive it. Guys, that's where we need. That's where the church needs in the life of the church today in our nation, and yeah, even us here, Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. That, that revival, that renewing, that reactivating. We need to walk in faith and step out in faith in areas of our lives, just as we do in every other spiritual area in our lives, in the areas of the gift of God working in us. We need to be willing and active to step out. But you know what? As soon as we do, you need to understand that the enemy will do all that he can to speak fear of failure or to speak embarrassment into your lives. Oh, you don't want to do that. You don't dare step further into the Lord or take a a deeper walk in the Lord. Remember what happened three years ago when you, that, that revival hit your life and you thought, man, I'm on fire for Jesus. I really No, you, you remember what happened in your life. The enemy's gonna do all that he can as he comes in and he's gonna try to keep us subdued or inactive for the kingdom of God any way that he can. The enemy will do all that he can to move us toward indifference and apathy for the world that's around us. We don't have a burden for the lost. There's, no, there's, there's not a heartbreak in our lives when we see people in the world around us knowing, man, they don't know Christ and their eternity unless they come to Jesus has already been determined. They are already condemned. That's what the word of God says, until they come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And all too often today, the church has become indifferent to the lost. 
We've become apathetic to those that are outside the household of faith. Oh, we're glad we made it. Too bad for them. The enemy will do all that he can to bring us into confusion, into doubt, and to lack of obedience. But as Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you need to remember, our God did not give us a spirit of fear, but he has given to us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind, not fear. What is there that you and I as the body of Christ, as believers in Christ, could ever or should ever be fearful of? Word tells us back in, in, in the book of Numbers, Numbers 14, verse 19, as the Lord is speaking to the children of Israel, calling for them to step out again against the nations that were there. And the word comes as, as Moses declares, the Lord is with us. Don't fear them because the Lord is with us. The psalmist declares in Psalm 27, verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Is that the reality of your life in Christ as you're living your life and as you're stepping out in the things of the Lord? Paul tells the church in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. He says, oh, but the Lord is faithful and he will establish you and he will guard you against the evil one. That's the promise of God. And then the promise that Every one of us need to know, and man, need to have drilled down within our hearts, our minds, our spirits. First John 4, 4, that full understanding that greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. So when persecution or trials come, attacks of the enemy come, or we back off from sharing our faith or the witness of our lives to others, you need to know uh, inside you, the power of God is working and moving if we are obedient and willing to be used by him. Problem is we, we're subdued. We, we pull back. Why would we be subdued? Why would we be inactive when the very power of God is working within us? The Old Testament prophet Zechariah declares, man, that, that we don't move in our own strength because the Lord says it's not by your works, it's not by your power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I don't do this thing on my own. We don't walk our Christian life on our own. We can't do that. We'd, we'd fail miserably. And I know that because every time I try to do that on my own, I fail miserably. We can't do it on our own. It is the power of God working within us. Paul tells the Ephesian church, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, he says, don't forget, our God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. And that's not my power. That's his power. The very power of God works within the life of his children. If you know Christ as your Savior, the power of God works within you to be able to do the work and the will and the purposes of God in the place that you live and in the circles of influence that you have. Paul also told the Ephesians in Ephesians 3.20, he speaks about that power that does reside within us. It is the effective working of his power that's within us. 
If I am a child of God, if I say that Jesus Christ is my Lord and God is my Father, and again, in that relationship, I want the heart of God working and moving in my heart. How in the world can I be apathetic? How in the world can I be indifferent to a world that is around me that is perishing? If we have the Spirit of God that's living within us, the heart of God within us compels us to live our lives in compassion and caring for a lost and dying world. Again, back in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, the Lord says, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. And he says again, turn, turn from your evil ways. You see, God has a compassion for the lost. You and I need to have a compassion for the lost. Very familiar word. We, we, we could all probably quote it here this morning. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. The world. The world. God loved the world so much that he gave his son, his only begotten son, that whoever, why? Because God's compassion was for the world. God's compassion was for lost humanity. He sent his son in order that humanity could call upon him. In the gospel of Luke, Jesus speaking, he tells his disciples, you need to understand that the harvest truly is is plentiful, Problem is, is the the laborers are few. Therefore, you need to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into his harvest. Why? Because he said, in essence, what he is saying there is that the world around us is lost, but there's not enough people sharing the hope of the gospel. Continue to pray to the Lord that he would raise up his children to declare the hope of the gospel to a lost and dying world around us. Paul, as he writes to Timothy, not in 2 Timothy, but back in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, he says that our God desires that some men should be saved. That's not what it says. He says, our God desires that all men be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I love my Calvinist brothers, but when I look at the word and it says that God desires all, all men to be saved. I don't see any barriers there. I don't see any limitations there. God's heart is big enough that he desires all men to be saved. That's why he sent Christ. Peter, as he writes to the church in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says, you need to understand punishment is coming. Punishment for those that have rejected Christ is coming, but you also need to understand that God's not slack concerning that promise of the coming judgment, just because it hasn't happened yet. The reason it has not happened yet is because our God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Guys, I, I share those verses with you in order that you and I might fully understand God has that kind of heart for the lost that are around us. We need that kind of heart. God, give us that heart. God, give me that heart that I look at people and I see there someone who is outside 
of the household of faith, someone who has eternity before them, a Christless eternity before them. And unless they come to a saving knowledge of Christ, they are forever, forever in hell. As a child of God, we're called to walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit's call and to his leading and to his commands. And we're supposed to do that without confusion, without doubt. We're supposed to do that in a disciplined manner. When, when Paul says here, he says, we should have that, that sound mind. Again, God gives us that sound mind. And again, it's a word that can be simply uh, translated or understood as, as discipline. But with that comes a deeper meaning. It means a, a rationality without illusion. A rationality without illusion. That's all we have time for today on The Open Word. If you'd like to listen again to today's message or hear additional teachings by Pastor David, you can do so quite easily. In fact, Pastor David has that information to share with you right now. Thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, and shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take the open word with you as you go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching for The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound biblical teachings with you anytime and anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. That website once more is theopenword.com. The book of 2 Timothy is an insightful study on what the end of life looks like for a follower of Jesus. We can learn from the Apostle Paul's wisdom and attitude and his desire to continue serving Jesus every moment. It doesn't matter how old you are, what you've done, or who you are, Jesus has a plan for your life. As you're seeking the Lord's plan for your life, we'd like to join you in prayer. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We're so blessed to be able to share Pastor David's teachings with you on each edition of The Open Word. And we hope you'll tune in again to continue studying the book of 2 Timothy with us. Join Pastor David next time, right here on The Open Word. Make us more.